Chapter 2 The Early Years It is said that Elmina, the prophet's mother, had no great trouble with her pregnancy. Everything went right for her. She heard a great deal about other women having all sorts of trouble when they were pregnant. Hers, however, was a very easy pregnancy, associated with the hope that the coming child would brighten her life after the totally unexpected tragedy of her husband's death. There was nothing unusual about the birth of Muhammad, peace be upon him. The only thing worth mentioning is that his mother reported later that she had an easy delivery. Historians could not determine for certain the exact year of his birth. Most reports, however, suggest that it was in AD 570, the year when Abraha, the Abyssinian ruler of Yemen, launched his attack against Mecca. As for the date, it was most probably on the 12th of Rabi al-Awwal in the year 53 BH. Short note for clarity, Rabi al-Awwal is a month in the Islamic calendar and the abbreviation BH refers to before Hijrah and that means before emigration which is the start of the Islamic calendar. There is nothing particularly significant about determining the exact date of Muhammad's birth. Whatever celebrations are held nowadays on that date have no Islamic basis. They are merely traditional celebrations which have no religious significance. There are some reports about certain happenings which point to the forthcoming destruction of the Persian Empire and its pagan faith. Other incidents suggesting the eclipse of other religions are also reported to have taken place on the day Muhammad was born. While Muhammad's birth heralded the imminent collapse of all erring beliefs, such reports cannot be taken seriously. We have no solid evidence to prove them. Moreover, no importance is attached to them from the Islamic viewpoint, even if one assumes them to be true. When Amina delivered her baby, she sent for his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, to come and have a look at him. He was very happy when he saw him. Abdul Muttalib was still very sad at the loss of his son Abdullah, but the birth of Muhammad eased his sadness as he looked forward to a bright future for the newborn child. He took the baby and went to the Kaaba where he prayed for him at length. He thanked God for giving him a boy to bear the name of his deceased son. Then he took him back to his mother, told him that she heard voices commanding her to call her child Muhammad. Muhammad means often praised or worthy of praise. It was a totally unfamiliar name in Arabia. Nevertheless, Abdul Muttalib had no hesitation in calling his grandson by that name. He could never dismiss the thought that the events which led to the birth of this child suggested that he was certain to have a great influence on the life of his community. When he was questioned by the notables of Mecca about this unfamiliar name he had given to his grandchild, he answered that he wished the boy to be praised by human beings on earth and by God in heaven. Muhammad was given to Thuwaybah, a servant of his uncle, Abu Lahab, to breastfeed him for a few days until long-term arrangements for his nursing were made. Infancy in the Desert it was the tradition of the noblemen of Mecca to send their children to be breastfed by Bedouin wet nurses. They felt that the open space of the desert was far better for the children in their early years than the close atmosphere in the city. They thought that when a child was nursed in the desert, he was certain to grow up physically strong and healthy. 
Every now and then, Bedouin women came to Mecca to seek newborn babies. They were prepared to witness them for the wages and gifts which were certain to be given to them by the baby's parents. There was no set fee for the task. It was left to the generosity of the father. A group of such Bedouin women arrived in Mecca shortly after Muhammad was born. Each of them looked at Muhammad but declined to take him when she realised that his father was dead. Apparently, none of them thought that the grandfather would do as well for them as the boy's own father. Each one of them managed to get a child to nurse, except Halima bint Abi Dwayb. She later reported what she did that day. I travelled with my husband and our young boy along with a number of women from our tribe, Sa'ad ibn Abi Bakr, to seek babies to nurse. It was a bad year in our area of the desert. We had nothing to survive on. I was riding a mule, and we had with us an old she-camel, which gave us not a drop of milk. We spent many a sleepless night because our little boy was always crying of hunger. I did not have enough milk to satisfy him. Our camel was hopeless, but we still hoped for rain and better days. Because my mule was also weak, I kept falling behind my companions, I gave them so much trouble because of our weakness. When we arrived in Mecca, every woman of us was offered Muhammad to nurse. When she learnt that he was an orphan, she declined. We simply hoped for gifts and presents from the baby's father. Hence we always replied when we were offered him, An orphan? What could his mother or grandfather do for us? Every woman in the party was able to obtain a child to nurse except me. When we were about to set out on our journey back home, I said to my husband, I hate to be the only one to go back empty-handed. I'm going to take that orphan. He said, It is a good idea. He may bring us some blessings. I went back and brought him. As soon as I put him to my breast, I felt that both my breasts were full of milk. He had his fill, and so did his brother, my own son. Both went to sleep immediately afterwards. We had not had much sleep in the preceding nights because of our boys crying. It is also reported that in those days, the Prophet always sucked the same breast. He never accepted the other one. It is as if he was made to feel that he had a partner and he left him his share. Halima said, My husband thought that it was worth trying to milk our old camel. He soon discovered that she had four breasts. He milked enough for both of us to have our fill. It was our best night for a long while. My husband said to me in the morning, You know, Halima, you have taken a blessed child. I said, I sincerely hope so. We started our journey that morning, and I rode the same mule and carried Muhammad with me. She was now moving fast, ahead of all my friends. They were amazed, and asked me whether it was the same mule I was riding on the way to Mecca. When I affirmed that it was, they were very surprised. When we arrived at our quarters, it was hit by severe drought. Nevertheless, my sheep were always full of milk. We had more than we needed whilst no one else had enough. Most of their sheep had no milk at all. People would tell their shepherds to keep their sheep alongside mine, hoping to have some milk. It was only my sheep which had their breasts bursting with milk every evening. We continued to have this divine blessing until he was two years of age when I weaned him. He was growing like no other child did. When he was two, he was very strong for his age. I took him back to his mother. 
forming in my mind the best argument I could muster to persuade her to allow me to keep him for a while longer. I said to her, I wish you would leave my child with me for a little while longer until he gets stronger. I fear that he may catch an infection of some sort or another in Makkah. I tried hard until she was persuaded to send him back with me. A very strange event. Muhammad stayed with Halima, his suckling mother, in the desert for nearly four years altogether. Nothing eventful normally happens to a child at such an early age, hence nothing much is recorded by historians. An event which happened at the end of that period, however, caused Halima to be so disturbed that she preferred to go back to Mecca and return the young child to Amina, his mother. While Muhammad, peace be upon him, was playing with other children, the angel Gabriel came and took him by the hand. He laid Muhammad down and opened his chest and abdomen, took out his heart and removed from it a black clot which he threw away. As he did so, he said, This is what Satan has in you. He then washed Muhammad's heart in a gold bowl full of iced water before putting it back into its place. He then sealed the incision and left him. His suckling brother, Halima's son, ran to his mother to report that Muhammad was dead. She rushed to see him. She found him standing up, but pale-faced. She asked him what had happened, and he related what had been done to him by two unknown men wearing white dresses. This incident disturbed Halima a great deal. She sat several nights thinking about Muhammad and what had happened to him. Some reports suggest that she took him to a fortune teller to find out the significance of what had happened. The authenticity of these reports is not beyond question. What is certain, however, is that Halima felt that the safest course for her was to return the child to his mother. It was her husband who suggested this, expressing his fear that the boy might have been attacked by an evil spirit. It is wiser to return him to his people now, before any bad consequences. Amina was surprised to see Halima bringing Muhammad back. She asked why pointing out that Halima had been so keen to keep him. Halima said, There is nothing wrong with him or us. We have discharged our task to the best of our ability. We thought he would be better off with you, lest something should happen to him. Amina said that was not the full story. There must be something else. She kept pressing Halima until the latter told her the story. Amina said to her, Do not fear Satan for this boy, for he is protected against him. This boy of mine will have a renowned future. I tell you that my pregnancy was the easiest ever experienced by any woman. One night when I was pregnant, it seemed in my dream as if a light had come out of me to light up the palaces of Syria. When I gave birth, he lifted his head to heaven. Leave him with me and go back to your people. An authentic tradition points out that the same thing happened to the prophet when he was fifty years old, one night while he was half asleep. The angel made a long incision from the top of his chest right down to the end of his abdomen. He took out his heart and washed it in a gold bowl full of faith. He then put his heart back in its place. It isn't easy to explain these two events in ordinary terms. The event itself was extraordinary. Moreover, the question of good and evil has nothing to do with the function of any part of the human body. It is clear that a spiritual interpretation of this question is much more relevant. Its understanding is beyond human ability. A contemporary scholar, 
Sheikh Muhammad al-Ghazali, suggests that divine care would not leave a person like Muhammad, peace be upon him, to experience petty temptations to which all human beings are liable. If we suppose that there are waves of evil all around us, and that the hearts of certain people pick up these waves very easily and are influenced by them, then the hearts of prophets, who are favoured with God's care, do not receive these waves and are therefore not influenced by them. Hence, prophets do not have to resist any downward tendency to sink into evil. They try to strengthen an upward tendency to purify themselves and their nations of evil. In support of his argument, Al-Ghazali relates two authentic hadiths, or narrations said by the Prophet on two different occasions with more or less the same import. One hadith was related by Aisha. The Prophet told her after she admitted that she was jealous of the Prophet's other wives, your evil spirit has influenced you. When she asked whether an evil spirit was always with her, the Prophet said, every human being has an evil spirit. She asked whether this applied to him also. He said, Yes, but God has helped me against him, and he has accepted Islam. That is, the evil spirit within the Prophet became an obedient one, and could not suggest any evil thought. It seems that the whole incident of opening the chest of the Prophet in his early childhood, and again when he was fifty years old, is indicative of the immunity God gave his chosen servant, to keep him away from worldly temptations ever since he was a young boy. That concludes the opening sections of this chapter. Join us next time for the second part of the early years. <laughs>